Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. Have you checked out our newest podcast yet? The MCAT Cars Podcast at mcatcarspodcast.com. It's a podcast that I do with Jack Weston the expert in the cars section of the MCAT and helping you maximize your score on the car section and the MCAT as a whole. Go to mcatcarspodcast.com or MedEd Media where you can find all of our podcasts. This is the pre-med year, session number 313. Hello and welcome to the three-time Academy Award-nominated podcast, The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. If this is your first time joining me here, thank you for taking the time to listen. My goal here is to spread as much information as possible, spread as much encouragement as possible, motivation as possible to you, the pre-med student who is on this journey and who may doubt themselves, who may struggle and question whether or not they can do this, whether or not they want to do this. And that's why I come here every week with stories of encouragement, stories of amazing people who have been in your shoes and are now succeeding, and just general information to help guide you through the application process, through the MCATs, through the interview process, et cetera. So this week is no exception. I have an amazing guest who I had been following on Instagram for a while, and I reached out to her and I said, I would love to share your story on the podcast, and thankfully she agreed. Now I'm talking to Adrienne. You can find her on Instagram. She is SSG period, T-O, period, M-D-P-H-D. That's Staff Sergeant to M-D-P-H-D. She is an Army vet, a mom of three, and is in her third year of her M-D-P-H-D program, the first year of grad school. So she's done the first two years of med school, and now she's in the first year of her PhD portion of the grad school. And Adrienne shares her story, her journey, her struggles, her successes all along the way. Adrian, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? 
I am amazing. I'm excited to talk to you because I think every part of your journey will resonate with the audience, male, female, traditional, non-traditional. Looking at your journey, I think, will inspire a lot of people. So I'm excited to get to talk to you. And I want to start off with trying to find out when exactly along your path you realized that you needed to be a doctor. I actually have wanted to be a doctor since I was eight years old. Um, I read Gifted Hands. I was a mm-hmm. big reader as a girl. And uh, I loved how there was someone that was like me, that grew up like me, that ended up being a respected surgeon. And then I was fascinated with the conjoined twin surgery, and I, I couldn't stop thinking about it. When you say someone like me, I'm assuming you're talking about being a minority. And growing up in a single-parent household, mm-hmm. and uh, my mom worked multiple, multiple shifts to take care of my brother and I, and we still um, struggled financially. So knowing that Ben Carson went through something similar um, was inspirational to me. Yeah. And and for those listening that don't know Gifted Hands, the story of of Ben Carson, the famous neurosurgeon turned politician turned uh, whatever he does now. Um, great story, great movie with, uh, who was that? Was that Cuba Gooding Jr. that played I him? So. Yeah, good movie. So great, great story that I think every pre-med should watch. Um, and I think it's important. I, I like how you led it right with that of somebody that looked mm-hmm. like me. I think a lot of right. minorities, especially women, uh, don't have somebody that looks like them, talks like them mm-hmm. from the same background. And they're like, well, if I don't see that, then I can't do it. And so they go and find something else. No, which is why representation and mentorship is so important, which is why it's something that I really try to focus on now. Yeah. So from eight years old, you were mm-hmm. like, I'm going to be a doctor. So easy peasy, smooth sailing, right? You go to college, you go, you get to med school, and, and no, now I'm talking to you. Absolutely not. <laughs> So, if that were the case, you probably wouldn't be talking. <laughs> yeah, like, that's a boring story. Um, you joined the military. I did. Why did you join the military? So the thing about wanting to be a doctor and the logistic uh, possibility of that happening aren't quite the same. Um, when I was sixteen, I was starting to look at college. I was a good student. I had good grades. Um, I was in National Honor Society doing all the things that I should be doing, but my mom just kind of looked at me with just defeat because she couldn't afford to send me to school, knowing that education would be something beneficial for me. So I took matters into my own hands. I joined the Army when I was 17 so that I could pay to go to school. Let's. I want to talk about that for a minute because mm-hmm. I, I think both from a undergrad standpoint and from a uh, a cost of medical education standpoint, mm-hmm. those from lower socioeconomic um, uh, backgrounds look at that price tag and they go, nope, can't do it. Um, and, and that discussion comes up a lot. Where was the discussion around, well, go get loans like a lot of students do? Like, I, I can't afford to put you through college, but go get loans. No, that my mom um, has an associate's degree. She paid for it herself, so she really wasn't well versed in um, getting a bachelor's degree or what that process was. And then my school, even though we produce college um, applicants every year, that just wasn't a discussion that was had with me when I was a student. Your high school. My high school, yes. Yeah. 
Okay, interesting. So just poor prep from high school and then right. just your family hasn't gone through that so they don't know how to how to advise you to do that exactly. as well. Yeah. And that's and that's a, a huge barrier to overcome and and hopefully mm-hmm. things like this podcast will open up the eyes and uh knowledge for some people out there. Hopefully. So you you look at that price tag and you go, nope, no way I can do it. I'll join the military. The military is a huge step, huge commitment. What what gave you the confidence, uh, especially as a, a female entering the army, to go, yeah, no problem, I'll, I'll do that? <laughs> I actually uh, ran into a classmate when I was in 11th grade, and she had joined and did basic and then was going to go back and finish 12th grade and then jo- go back and join the military full time. And she explained to me, like what basic training was like and what she earned and what her benefits were and things like that. And it was more so that I wanted to accomplish my goals than I was intimidated by joining. Um, I was petrified when I got on the bus <laughs> to go to basic, but I knew that it was how I could go to school. So yeah, I, I signed my, signed my name on the dotted line. <laughs> yeah. What was basic like for you? Um, actually it was really fun. Yeah. Um, I'm a really regimented person. So so having a very prescribed set of rules, having my day planned out is perfect for me. So, um, I think the hardest thing was the physical training, but other than that, I had a great time in basic stay out of trouble and it's not too, too bad. Yeah. Stay out of trouble. That's, that's the important one. I remember when I was in commissioned officer training, a little bit different than basic, uh, I, I commissioned officer training. I call it, uh, uh, camp with maids. Um, it's, uh, I, I got yelled at once and, and I apologized and I got yelled at for apologizing. They're like, don't apologize. Just fix it. I'm like, okay, right. <laughs> please don't yell at me anymore. No, just keep your head down, stay out of trouble. Listen, they're telling you these things for a reason. Follow instructions. You should be good to go. Yeah. Yeah. And somebody like you who likes the regimen, it's, it's mm-hmm. easier than somebody who maybe doesn't come from that sort of background, maybe doesn't right. come from, uh, being disciplined much in 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 their home, and they're like, "What's this thing? I don't know if I can handle this." <laughs> no, I fit in pretty well. Good. So you sign on the dotted line, and what a lot of people maybe don't know when they're potentially looking at joining the military is you're signing up for several years uh, when you're first signing up. Was your first right. commitment like six years? My first was four. Okay, but what they tell you is you're. Um, required to do eight so you do four active duty and then you do can do four inactive yep. where they can just call you back at any point which it, what happened while I was in the military so they started the war and so lots of people that were on that four years of inactive duty got called back up wow yeah so lots of unhappy people yeah were you part of that or you were still oh, no, active I at that joined, point um, uh, the summer after 9-11 so I was already in that group of people knowing that there was going to be a war yeah. and signed up. Yeah. And so they they didn't let you go on the inactive list. They were like, nope, no, we need you. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it's the same. I, I think it's important to know that it's the same for the HPSP scholarship that I signed yes. up for. It's it's an eight-year total commitment for active and then for this individual ready reserve uh, the, we we jokingly call it the the World War list. Be like, ah, they're not going to get call us up unless yeah, uh, until the, they do call yeah, you. <laughs> until they do, right? Military needs always first. Mm-hmm. Um, so you served. What did you do in the military? I was in military intelligence. The, the 
best thing I can say is that I worked on drones. It was really fun. Yeah, that's exciting. Awesome job. Uh, what? How do you think the military prepared you to come back and be a student and, and start your journey to medical school? Um, a couple of ways. Uh, you know the military plans things out weeks in advance. Um, we have a very detailed training calendar, so I'm used to being able to plan long term and stay focused on that plan. And then also just discipline. Um, there's so many challenges being an undergraduate and then a, a graduate student that if you don't have that internal motivation, it's very easy to get sidetracked. And with science and medicine, you can't really let external distractions um, take you off your goal. So definitely those two things um, help prepare me to go back to school. You're out in the, the quote-unquote workforce, working, making money, mm-hmm. traveling the world potentially, and at any point along that journey, did you second-guess your, your dream of becoming a doctor? Oh, absolutely. So I ended up loving being in the Army. Um, I initially signed up for four years, and I ended up serving for 10. Um, we had gotten back from our first deployment we had soldiers that left to go to other duty stations, soldiers that left to get out, and I knew that my unit was short-handed. So I actually I re-enlisted so that when they were going to redeploy, they would have enough personnel to carry out their mission. And I just kept re-enlisting because I, I loved what I was doing, and I learned I loved being developed into a leader. Um, so it was a very difficult decision to separate and go go back to my original goal pursuing medicine but um eventually i knew that it was time what did that discussion look like oh gosh lots of tears mm-hmm. <laughs> i really did not want to separate um after being in for 10 years you make all kinds of relationships and uh, i had i felt like i was leaving my soldiers behind and um not being able to mentor them and work with them it was very difficult to do um but I knew that I couldn't let go, that that dream didn't go away. So I knew that I had to do it. And it's not a a dissimilar discussion for any non-traditional student who's in a career who maybe is a leader uh, and has uh, people who are working under him or her and that to to feel that abandonment, like I'm abandoning these people, the the relationship that you build, uh, the routine that you get into, momentum is a very very powerful thing and to then change right humans we don't like change and and to purposefully (laughs) yeah to purposefully go okay i'm gonna change everything right i'm gonna give up my steady paycheck i'm gonna i'm gonna go back to school i'm going to go down this journey that may or may not work out exactly right the unknown so many unknowns yeah and where along the line did you start uh, having a family? So I met my husband um, my first year in the Army. We started dating in 2004, and we got married in 2008. Okay, and so married in 2008, and when did you have kids? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very uh, quickly. 2009, <laughs> 2011, 2013. Okay, so you got yeah. three kids under your belt. I do. <laughs> and a husband. <laughs> And a husband. And when did you separate from the army? Um, I was pregnant with my son, so it was 2013. So I went back to school pregnant, <laughs> um, pursuing science, 
and I had my son midterm, my first semester back in school. And what was that like being a mom in this oh, new God. environment of, of being a college student? Um, you feel so different. I mean, you're, you're a veteran, you're older than everyone, you have this whole life that you're responsible for, and then you're growing a person. Like You obviously <laughs> stand out as being different. Um, but I, I'm a planner. I think about things ahead of time. So I definitely talked with all of my instructors. I took my midterms early because I knew when he was coming. And um, I was back to school six days later. So. Six yeah. days? Mm-hmm. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Good on you. That's incredible. I mean, I couldn't miss class. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you could. Like, you could have taken a whole semester off if you wanted to, no. but you're like, nope, I have yeah, my eyes too. set on the prize. <laughs> exactly. Talk about the the planning, right? You 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 have a husband. You have yes. three kids. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm assuming you were pregnant when you told the army that you were going to separate. Yes, so so you knew a third was coming. Yep. What did the discussions and the planning look like to to finance all of this? To to make sure that you have the the income, the budget to to go back to school. So the deal was that did not work out. My husband was supposed to stay in the military until I graduated <laughs> from medical school. He did not do that. So um, we, I had my GI Bill. I used that for undergrad. And then I was fortunate enough to be selected as a Pat Tillman Scholar in 2014. So that helped me focus on school, um, put food on the table, keep a roof over our heads. And it allowed Stephen to separate. And he went to school. Very nice. And Pat Tillman, uh, famous, what was he, uh, I forget what branch he was in. Was he Army? He was in the Army. He okay. was a Ranger. Yeah. Um, he played for the Arizona Cardinals, mm-hmm. and he joined the military and was killed by fratricide. So his family started the Pat Tillman Foundation in his honor, and they select um, veterans and veteran spouses or active duty service members that are pursuing education and provide them with scholarships towards meeting an ultimate goal that will impact society that's amazing and how how competitive is that scholarship um they have 7500 applicants and they select 58 to 60 people a year that's awesome mm-hmm. that's awesome congrats on that so so Thank just you. to define a word that you said that many may not know fratricide meaning just friendly fire right yes. it wasn't an enemy bullet unfortunately no. um that killed him but uh, amazing story uh, again. There hasn't been a movie about him yet, has there? No, I'm surprised. Lots of, lots of books. Yeah, uh, no movie. Yeah, I'm surprised that that's not out there yet. Mark Wahlberg will play him or something. <laughs> Mark Wahlberg <laughs> has, plays everybody. You have to grow his hair out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you, I, I, I actually think when I hear that you were like, "Oh, my husband was going to stay in until I graduate med school," I'm like, "Oh, that's." That's really hard, right? Because the army right. doesn't care that you're in medical school, doesn't care that you have no. three kids. They're going to move him around where they need exactly. him. And then who keeps the kids and who's all right. this, all these question the marks. The army does not care. Yeah, the army doesn't that. care. So I, I talk to a lot of military spouses mm-hmm. uh, who don't serve. They're obviously serving as a spouse, but mm-hmm. they'll talk about going to medical school and, and, and they're like, I don't want to be apart from my husband or, or my, my wife. Uh, who's serving? I'm like, well, then you sh- you should wait to apply because the the military doesn't care what you're doing. When you apply to medical school, there's no there's no easy way to know where you're going to go. Um, right, and it's a hard thing 
for a lot of people to hear to say you should probably wait two, three, four, five years until your significant other separates. Right. We were willing to take on that challenge, though, because we're both crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it takes two, two crazies to make it yeah. work, apparently. Talk about the support that you get. So your husband's in school. You're yes. in school. Yes. You have three kids. And we homeschool them. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> <laughs> How does it all work? Um, we have a very detailed, color-coded calendar that I maintain, and it goes to every electronic device in my house. So I have the master calendar, and whenever I update it, all the phones, iPads, computers can pull it up and look at it. So everyone in the house knows what's going on on any given day. Um, like my girls are to the point where they're pretty independent with their schooling, so they can do their lessons on their own throughout the day. And then when we want, when either myself or my husband gets home, we check what they do or answer any questions that they may have. And then my son, uh, he's in first grade, so he's working on like really simple reading, math, writing. Mm -hmm. um, his lessons take about an hour and a half to two hours, so we can knock that out in the evening. It's amazing to me. I, I I've thought about homeschooling my kids. Uh, my daughter is now four and a half. We'll be starting kindergarten next year, and it. it I, I've looked into a lot of the homeschooling stuff and it's like you can bang out what they need to know in yep. an hour and a half, two hours. I'm like, what are they doing at school all day long? <laughs> uh, snacks and recess <laughs> yeah. and field trip. I have no idea. Yeah. Like, the girls take maybe five hours to get through their lessons and that's with breaks and lunch and things like that. Yeah. Incredible. So you're homeschooling kids. Mm -hmm. um, how old are the kids now? Just for reference. Almost nine, seven, and five. So nine, seven, and five. So uh, old enough to, to leave on their own when you were off to school and your husband's off to school? Oh, no, no. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah. So my, where, where's my the help? My mother lives with us. Ah, okay. There's the support yeah, I was looking for. No, yeah, no. My mother lives with us. Um, and she takes care of like day-to-day, -day, make sure they get up, get dressed, hygiene, eat, okay. Um, and then make sure they get started on their lessons. Um, Victoria and Blair are old enough to make their own breakfast, lunch, things like that. Um, and I'm trying to get my son to do the same, but he likes to play the baby. So Yeah, just <laughs> let him make like peanut butter and chocolate sandwiches. Be like, I'll make those all day long. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't do that. Okay, okay. He would uh, love it though. Yeah. What was that? Uh, discussion like with your husband to say, hey, honey, like I want your mother-in-law to live with us <laughs> to <laughs> to help us as we go through this journey. So actually, my mom moved in with us um, while I, we were still in the military. Okay. Our mom is disabled, so she is on social services. She can't afford to live on her own, one. And two, she doesn't drive. So we have been taking care of her um, since Ms. Blair's been born, seven years. Okay, She's lived with us for a long time. Okay, so she... Was she a dependent that you had her as a dependent in I the military? I tried. That paperwork is intense. It's hard. Yeah. It is. But had, she's my dependent now. So Okay. I had one friend in the military, a public health officer, who uh, had her mom as a as a dependent, uh, somebody else who was also disabled. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a lot of paperwork. It is a lot. Like, why am I going to pay for your parent now? Right. Um, okay. So you have, you have support at home. I you, do. You have... 
uh, support from your husband who who's like, yeah, honey, like go go live your dreams. Uh, <laughs> he literally has told me that several <laughs> times. He's he's very great. Yeah, and you need it. You have to have it to to exactly. make this work. Especially, I mean, it's it's hard enough with just um, just a husband and wife. But then when right. you add three kids in the, the into the equation, everybody has to be on board. Everybody. What what is the discussion like with your kids to say to to let them know? Be like, sorry, like. Mommy has to study. Mommy has to be at school. Mommy has to to do all this stuff. I'm sorry, I'm not home. So it's it's a it's a challenge. Um, they are aware that I go to school every day. I try to include them as much as I can. Um, I bring them to campus sometimes, not during the school day, but just so they can see like this is where I go every day. Um, they've been in my lab, just so they know they have a, a frame of mind of where I am when I leave the house very early in the morning. Um, I try to treat it as a job, so I stay on campus until five or six, and then I'll go home, and I spend that time with them until they go to bed. So I, I try to keep it to where I'm not constantly having to tell them, look, I can't right now, I can't right now. It does get to that point sometimes, depending on exam schedules, mm -hmm. but for the most part, I try to spend that those few hours with them every day so that they don't... Um, dislike me too much when they're adults <laughs> yeah when you when you're home you're home with them you're right. not distracted i think that's a I, i've talked to a lot of of parents who are going through this process and, and it seems like that is the standard setup that that kind of needs to happen is like i i'm gone eight to five nine to five whatever it is that's my job and then i'm right. home I'll, I'll be with you you go to sleep and then i'll i'll kind of curl into the corner uh, into the corner and, and read some more, study some more, right. depending on what the schedule's like. You know, grad school's been a little different. My schedule is a little more lenient. So they're they're happy with that. I can't imagine what they're going to be like when I go back to my third year of med school. They're not going to like that at all. Yeah. So let's, they'll let's, be much older. <laughs> let's talk about your, your pre-med journey. So you okay. go back to college. Mm -hmm. You're probably one of the older students in class. You have your family. Yeah. You have your your dream set on going to medical school. How smooth sailing was college for you, having been away from school for so long? I had been out of the classroom for over ten years, um, so I was a little over um, enthusiastic. I tried to take several science classes in the summer semester, <laughs> and I actually, I mean, I made it out alive, but. I learned really quickly that the kind of student that I wanted to be, I had to put more effort in to get the grades that I wanted. Uh, once I learned that lesson, it each subsequent course um, was a little easier. Um, I did double major in biology and chemistry, so <laughs> why not? I, right. I mean, well, I had a lot of um, credits already from being in the military, mm. so I. I finished in three years, but I double majored because I had, I mean, I had the time mm -hmm. and I wanted to be more competitive for medical school. And I really loved chemistry. I started out with biology only and then I added chemistry um, my first year in. But yeah, I mean, science was difficult. Don't get me wrong. It was very challenging. But once I figured out how much attention it needed, um, it went better. What was the hardest thing for you? Lab, um, just trying to have those lab classes and then being away all those hours and working and studying. So um, classes aren't that bad. It's 
you have, oh, 30 minutes here, and then you have to run to lab for this class, but then you have a test in this other class. Just keeping up with everything um, was a challenge. But they, I have a little corner in my school where they call it like the Cambor's Corner, because that's where you could find me if I wasn't in class. They thought about putting a plaque there before I graduated. <laughs> that would be awesome. I was always there um, using the whiteboard and figuring out all my different things. But the, the hardest part was the labs. They kind of ran late sometimes, especially as you got higher up in chemistry classes. Now, you mentioned grad school early on. And somebody who may not know the lingo and like, wait, I thought you were in med school. Uh, <laughs> you are an MD-PhD candidate. So you've done your first years of med school and now you're in your PhD part, which is typical grad school. Mm-hmm. Why MD-PhD for you? So being the um, person that I am and trying to make sure I hit everything that I could to be a good applicant, I did research in undergrad and I could not let it go. I loved it so much. Um, I didn't know that there was even a such thing as an MD-PhD until my PI in undergrad recommended it to me. I researched it. I was literally applying to medical school and I added the extra essay in the letter of recommendation right before I turned in my application because wow. I just I couldn't imagine going forward without having research as part of my life. And I mean, bench research. Mm-hmm. And for that, to have the skills that you need, the, the critical thinking and things like that, I felt like I needed to have the PhD to be able to work through these complex problems, that, these questions that I had in my head. Yeah. Is there an area of focus that you are interested in? I love microorganisms. Love them. So I'm currently <laughs> a PhD candidate in microbial pathogenesis. I want to know why we get sick. Yeah. What is the rubber meets the road, bug host interactions, why does that bug cause sickness in you or me? Yeah. And that's you are the perfect student who, if you came to me, you'd be like, Dr. Gray, I don't know why or I don't know if I should do MD-PhD or just MD. These are the kind of questions I would have. Like, is there a particular mm-hmm. area of interest? How much research have you done? What do you want your career to look like? And you're like, right. I want bench research. I want to know why we get sick and study these microorganisms. I'm like, done. Right. Like, go go get your PhD. <laughs> it's easy. I, I think that you, if you don't have a good, clear reason, um, the the amount of time and effort that it takes, you will not feel um, fulfilled if mm. you just go on this path to have extra letters. Like it's not worth it. Extra letters. Um, and it's right. a lot of the spots are funded. And so a lot of students are like, I'm going to do MD PhD because it's, because I get it's paid. Funded. Right. Uh, okay. But you know, yeah. this is a struggle. This <laughs> <laughs> is a struggle. Yeah. You have to like it. <laughs> right. This is work. And if you don't like it, it's, it, it's just a struggle. <laughs> yeah. What, what was that? path like you you start med school Let, let's go back to your first two years of med school you you get in right that's the first hurdle right. i uh, ran around my yard for 15 minutes <laughs> when i got in yeah did yes. you get a phone call or an email i got well i got a letter in the mail for med school and then i got a phone call for the md phd program that's awesome so, um, I mean this was a dream realized you know i've been working and thinking and dreaming and hoping since i was eight so to see it finally come to fruition, um, that I was going to be a doctor, um, was a huge blessing. Like I just, like I said, I ran around my yard for 15 minutes screaming. Yes, you should. Yeah. No one called the police on me. So that's, <laughs> <good>. <laughs> that's very good. What, so, uh, go what was the, the application process for you? Like uh, going through the whole application process, applying to MD, MD, PhD programs, 
uh, and and at the end, were you uh, needing to pick between schools, or did you only get the one acceptance? Oh no, I I got well. I wanted to get into Maryland because I'm from Baltimore. My mm-hmm. family's here. They have um, they they have a whole department for microbiology. Like people talk about microorganisms. Like I want to talk about them. <laughs> um, those are your people. <laughs> Yeah, right. They're my people. I had lots of good reasons for wanting to pick this program, um, but I did choose it out of, uh, I had three acceptances, so I That's chose amazing. Maryland. Why do you think um, you were so successful? Well, okay, so lately, first go back. The application process for those uh, like me, underprivileged, um, AMCAS has a fee assistance program. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to apply to 15 schools for free because I was able to show them that I was not financially able to do that. So if you are worried about the application process, because it's very expensive, um, look into the fee assistance program. That's my, yeah. my tidbit. And look into it early because it's early. only a, a, a limited number of funds. And as soon as those right. funds run out, they're, they're gone. And that's both for AMCAS and ACOMAS. Right. So that, I, I found out about that um, well before I was going to apply. So that was the first thing I did was apply for the fee assistance program. I got accepted into that. Um, so that waived my application fees. I got half off the MCAT, and I got access to the MSAR, and um, I think I got study material as well yep. for the MCAT, yep. um, which huge blessing um, because I took the new MCAT the first year it came out. So <laughs> that was um, incredibly helpful. Um, I did apply MD-PhD only to all the schools because I knew that that's what I wanted to do. Okay. And... Um, yeah, I got into three schools. I chose Maryland because of all the aforementioned reasons and ran around my yard. <laughs> now, everybody <laughs> who who's listening and, and if you go online, everybody wants to know stats. How comfortable are you talking about the stats that got you into three um, schools? Mm, that's, <laughs> okay, so I had the average GPA at my school. Okay. Um, I think my the MCAT score, because it was the first year, um, they didn't really have a good mm-hmm. way to analyze them. So I think that had I applied now, I would still get into med school. I probably um, would have had to done a lot more, I think, to supplement that. I don't think my MCAT score wasn't terrible, but yeah. it wasn't great either. And then, um, yeah, at, at my GPA was 3.7. So Yeah, that's a great, it's great GPA. It's average for my school, though. That's so. a great GPA. Is it average or is it the median I think it's the average for my school. Yeah. See, that's the thing is, is students right. look at the okay. MSAR. Yeah. The MSAR is median. And mm-hmm. students are like, oh, that's average. I'm like, no, that's, no, that's no, no. median. That's, yeah. Like 50 above. 50 people. above, like 50% yeah. above. Like half is above, half is below. Like why can't you right. be the half that's below? And uh, even when if it's the average, like I try to explain to people, like there's people below that. Yeah, like, way below if, that. <laughs> right. They, they got to that number adding up everyone. So yeah. don't take that as like that is the baseline because yeah. it's not. Good. How much do you think, uh, obviously 3.7 GPA is phenomenal. How much do you think you have all these other things you have being a vet, right? You have your research experience, you have being a minority woman. How much do you think all these other pieces played into it? So I told myself that I wanted to be an applicant where if they looked at my application, they were like, they had to say, we want her, not we there would be no option to say no. So I did shadowing. I did research. I volunteer. Like, volunteering is really important to me. So I tried to stack my deck as much as possible. Um, 
I think that if it came down to me and someone else that were exactly like me, same GPA, same MCAT score, same hours and everything, then minority, woman, veteran, all those things may have come into play. Mm-hmm. But I try to make it so that that didn't have to be a factor. Yeah. Which is exactly how you should play it, right? You want to be the best applicant, period. Right. And and then if you need that little boost, I, I always tell I, I, I talk to a lot of minority students, a lot of minority women. I'm like, you play the 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 cards you were dealt. And a lot right. of a lot of them are shy to play that card. But I'm like, why? That's that's who you are, it's number you. one. And number two, guess what? We need physicians who look like you. And uh, have the experience that yeah. you have and can talk to patients that have the experience that yeah. you have. Like, yeah. yes, you're different, but different's not bad. Yeah. Use it. Use it. Use it. Good. Right. So what was med school like for you the first two years? <sighs> so, <laughs> it's fun, <laughs> so I'm huh? Still tra- I'm still traumatized. <laughs> you, um, as, a, as am I 10 years right, later. Right. No. Um, once you get over, okay, I got in. But, oh, wait, I got in. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, crap. This means shining, I need a lot more. Yeah. That shininess wears off very quickly. Um, I, I will be perfectly honest. I struggled a lot. I'm not a memorizer. I never have been. But I felt like that's what the expectation was. Mm-hmm. And I had a very hard time um, changing my mind to think that way. I would learn material and go home and, oh, I want to know why this is called this or who discovered that. or <laughs> And I'm looking up primary sources and things like that, and it's just wasting time. And I had to learn to be more efficient, definitely, with how I study. You don't have weeks to master material. You have a day, yeah. maybe two days, um, before you have to move on to the next thing. So yeah, it was a steep uh, curve, but... I mean, I'm still here. They didn't kick me out. I was looking for the hook regularly, but um, no, I survived. Second year was much more difficult than first year, for sure. Why is that? um, Just because you have the same volume of information, the same expectations, but you have more um, external requirements. So my school has like, um, we have more intro to clinical medicine type things where you have to learn to do a physical exam and things like that. So just more extracurricular things. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of extra stuff. Like, right, and then that that ever imposing step exam is looming in the background. So, do you have for for MD PhD? Do you have to take step one before they let you go off to do your grad school years? Yes, that's the requirement at my school is that you have to take and pass step one before you can go to grad school. Okay, and now that you're in grad school, the medical school side of things just goes away, right? No, actually, another reason why I chose my school is that they are very integrated. So while we're in med school, we do like a journal club type thing for the first two years where once a week we meet up, discuss papers and things like that. And then while I'm in grad school, I have to do 100 clinical hours. And then we have case control studies where we go over different current medical cases each student presents throughout the year. So they try to make you realize that you're... A physician scientist, not an MD PhD. That's that's nice. I think that's probably um, unusual. The majority yes. of of students who I talk to are in those programs. It's you you are either in med school or you're in grad school, and they they're kind of separate, and you they you kind of forget about the med school world exactly. for the, the several years that you're doing your PhD. 
and then you go back to this world and you're like oh crap like what's this no. what's this doctor thing again no we they do a very good job of making sure that you don't forget either part that they go together yeah. they're synergistic and that you're not an md you're not a phd you're a physician scientist what is it like to you build these relationships these these bonds with students <gasps> And and then you're like, okay, like, bye, have fun. I'm going to be over here. Like, is that it, traumatizing? It's gut-wrenching. Yeah. So my classmates are all in the hospital, and I barely see them. And, like, we keep up with each other on social media and things like that. I mean, I just so I just had a birthday yesterday. Happy birthday. So thank you. Um, it was rough trying to plan everything because everyone's on different services, and they have different hours, and they're on call, and things like that. It just, it was a very difficult transition to go from medical school to grad school for that simple reason that you don't have that group of people that you relied on, but we have your MD, PhD cohort. So it's not too bad. You still have people that you know that are experiencing what you're experiencing, but um, yeah, I miss my med school classmates for sure. A match day and graduation are going to be rough. What is that transition back to medical school going to look like? Do Is there any sort of transition class or do you just go straight into the hospital? No. So um, we have the option at, at my school to start with the third year class on July 1st, or we can do a um, like delayed entry up to January 1st, I think, because it depends on your dissertation schedule and things mm -hmm. like that. And you have to have a first author paper to go back to med school. So depending on when that paper gets accepted and things like that, like they have a, um, a system where you can go back up to January 1st. Um, they would prefer that you go back with the third years because you get all of that intro training for um, the med school. Mm -hmm. But um, you can go back up to January. And, they, and we have a, a dean at my school for dual degree students. And that, that's the person that would work with us and transition us back into medical school. What's been the hardest thing in this process in in medical school, in grad school, with with having your three kids at home, having yeah. a spouse who may or may not feel like you're giving him enough attention and all this other stuff? What's the hardest thing for you? Mommy guilt. So hmm. I am very big on like holidays and um, things like that with my kids and their birthdays, Halloween, Easter, Christmas is always over the top. Are you, are you a Pinterest mom? Um, well, when I come up with the idea, then I'll go on Pinterest to see if that's actually a thing. But yes. So um, I try to make, the, make them not feel what they're experiencing. Like, I mean, if I worked, they would have the, we, we would have the same schedule. But that's the hardest part, I think, is feeling like I'm not um, being their mother and making sure that their childhood isn't traumatic because I'm doing this whole process. Do you have discussions with them to to talk about how you're working hard for your dream and they can work Absolutely. hard for whatever they want? Exactly. So um, when they try to tell me that they want to be veterinarians and they want to build robots and things like that, I'm like, okay, well, you see mommy, you see mommy and daddy working and during our homework and studying and things like that, like you have to make sure that you're willing to put that same amount of work in to reach those goals because you you have to be focused on that. 
um, there, when I was in anatomy, they would always ask me, what are you learning now? And what's this body part? And how does this work? And when I learned a physical exam, they know how to do a Renee and a Weber and um, do a vision exam. They, they pick up what I'm learning. So I'm, I try to keep them interested, but it's still that guilt is still there for sure. Has it been harder, easier, or about the same as you expected? Harder. I, step studying, dedicated study was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And I've been deployed for 27 months. Like, <laughs> <laughs> my daughter, uh, my middle daughter had to go to the doctors four times in that oh. six week period. Um, I've never felt so unprepared. And it wasn't because of my med school education. It wasn't because of my kids. It was just the combination of everything together. Um, and then that you only have one shot to take this exam. Um, yeah, it was definitely um, much more difficult than I anticipated. Were there any times where you questioned why you were doing it, why you were <laughs> sacrificing all of this time? Oh, gosh. One of my classmates kept a, a tick mark tracker every time I threatened to quit. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes, threatened to quit just about every day. Yeah. How close have you gotten? Um, Once. Once. I've... I was very seriously ready to, to not do it anymore. But that's why you have support. That's why you, my husband, um, my classmates kind of just all rallied around like, look, we can get through this hump. Because I think I was struggling with material. And then it was also like holiday season. So it was just a like, really overwhelming time. So they all just kind of like, look, I'll give you notes. And that's the great thing about my, my school and my classmates. They're very supportive. Um, whatever you need, when they, they'll come over and help and watch kids or whatever the case may be. Um, my classmates have been incredible. That's awesome. What advice would you have for a pre-med student out there or a vet out there, active duty member out there thinking that they want to go and, and be a doctor, be, a, be an MD, PhD like you are? What advice do you have for somebody who, who's out there maybe struggling along their journey? First... I would know the entire process, um, application, interview, what the program entails and things like that, because you want to know what you're getting into and you sh to be able to plan through that process. Um, as far as being an applicant, um, you're, you may feel like you're different, but that's okay because you bring something different to the table than everyone else. You have experience and insight that, your patient may need. So don't let that intimidate you. And just finally that you can do it. It's possible. I mean, I can attest to this every single day. It's possible to live your life and pursue your dreams at the same time. It's difficult. It's a challenge, but you're made of better stuff. You can do it. So I think that's, that's all I got. <laughs> All right, there you have it. Again, that was Adrian. You can find her on Instagram, Staff Sergeant to MD PhD. That's SSG period, T-O period, MD PhD. Adrian, thank you for sharing your story. I know it will help encourage many other students out there who are on a similar path. If you've struggled on this journey, if you've doubted yourself, if you have questioned whether or not this is what you want. Hopefully stories like Adrian's, somebody who's been through the process, who has struggled through the process, who is sacrificing through the process, but still succeeding 
at every step of the way. Hopefully a story like Adrian's will encourage you to keep moving forward if this is ultimately what you want. Good luck to you on your journey. And hopefully maybe I can feature you on the podcast in the future. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on the Pre-Med Years Podcast. 